You know, there are some circumstances and in, in situations in life in which we want to know that somebody is there with us. Some circumstances and situations that we don't want to face alone, that we are comforted by the presence of others. Perhaps you think of a child who is ill, who is comforted by the presence of a mother or father. You think of when loved ones leave us, when loved ones pass away. We are comforted by the presence of family and friends. Perhaps others, it's when we have other moments we've signed up to do something or we've agreed to do something that we've suddenly realized we'd rather not do. Perhaps it's the highest roller coaster at your favorite theme park and you get up there and you realize this is a little bit more than I wanted and you're comforted to know that there is at least someone you know that is riding with you. Well, the Word of God instructs us and teaches us, reminds us that we are not alone. That the presence of God is always with His people. That God goes with us wherever we go. In fact, Moses was reminding the people of Israel of this truth when he was advancing in age and preparing to pass the torch of leadership to Joshua. The Israelites were waiting to enter into the promised land, but they feared the, the inhabitants of that land who appeared to be more numerous and stronger than they were. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, Moses tells the Israelites, he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord God never leaves never forsakes those who are His people. And for us gathered together this morning who have believed in the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and Savior of the world, God is with us and He will never leave us. In fact, the Bible teaches that His Spirit resides in us as His people, that His Spirit lives within us as we are a dwelling place of God's presence. And also the Bible teaches us... And Matthew chapter 18, as we heard earlier through a prayer, that where two or more are gathered, He is there with us. So God is with us this morning, and we want to invite Him to make His presence known among us and to speak to us and to lead us as we look at His Word. Let me encourage you to open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis, the first book of the Bible. In a series, once again, going through a portion of Genesis, and we've come to Genesis chapter 26 this morning, and as we go to God's Word, join me in prayer and asking God to lead us as we look at His Word. Father, we do thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have made Yourself known to us, Lord, that You have not left us in the dark. You've not left us hidden as to who You are and who we are, and who we're called to be as your people. So, Father, speak to us now as we read your word, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 26, I'll begin reading in verse 1, and let me invite you to join me standing as I read God's word out of honor and reverence for the one whose word it is we are reading. Genesis chapter 26, I'll begin reading in verse 1, quite a lengthy passage of scripture, and I'll read most of it and summarize portions. But verse 1, Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerard. 
quick side note, just have to share this. After the first service, my wife actually was in the first service and went down and, and as often she shares something with me, you know, maybe try this and the next time, you know, think about this. And uh, she I said, well, that wasn't very good, was it? And she said, well, she said, why did you start saying Philistines? Or well, no, she said, why did you start saying Philistines? Why did you change that? I said, well, I didn't change that. Uh, somebody at some point smarter than me, I guess I heard say Philistines, and it sounded good, so I started saying it. But this time around, in honor of my wife and probably my many childhood Sunday school teachers, I'm going to say Philistines. So, no, that's where that comes from. I heard a thank you. Okay, verse 2. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Verse 7, when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. Because he was afraid to say, She is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Verse 12, Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold, because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. Verses 17 and following, Isaac moves away and his servants begin to dig for water. And they dig some wells and they find water. But each time the people of the land fight with him for that water, saying this is our water. And then in verse 22 we read about another well that they dug. And this time no one quarreled over it. So they said, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. Verse 23, from there he went up to Beersheba. And that night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. And Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. And the passage continues. Meanwhile, this king, Abimelech, comes and wants to make a treaty with Isaac because he sees that the Lord's hand is upon Isaac. And so verse 30, Isaac then made a feast for them and they ate and drank. And early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way and they went away peacefully. That day, that day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we've found water. He called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. Thanks be to God for the reading of His Word. And you may be seated. This is a long passage of 
Scripture. There's a lot there, many details there. It could be easy to get lost in all of these details, but I do think there is a central principle, a central point that is conveyed through this passage of God's Word, and I believe it is this. It's that God can always be trusted to go with and provide for His covenant people. God, the same God that we gather in the name of this morning, the one and only God, the God of the Scriptures, can always be trusted to go with and to provide for His covenant people. And so here we read about this couple, this ancient couple, Isaac and Rebecca, in a circumstance, a difficult circumstance, that's outside of their control. There's a famine in the land. This is serious. There's lack of food. And so they leave where they're living and they go to live in another area. A temporary time. They go to live in the region of Gerar among Abimelech and the Philistines. And while there, the Lord appears to Isaac, much as He had already done numerous times to his father Abraham. And remember that Abraham has been the recipient of a promise from God. He's been called by God to, to go and to... Settle in the place where God will show him, that God will use him and bless him and make his name great and give him many descendants and give them a land and bless all nations of the earth through him. But but now Abraham is gone. Abraham has, has died. And Isaac is portrayed here as receiving that same promise from God and being characterized by a similar faith and obedience to God. For God appears to Isaac and applies this promise that was given to Abraham directly to Isaac, saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. Stay here in this place. Don't go down to Egypt. Stay here. I will watch over you. I will provide for you. Your descendants will be great. They'll receive this land, and ultimately all nations will be blessed through your offspring. Verse 6 is significant here. Isaac displays mature faith in God, and I don't think we're to miss this. Verse 6, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. God called Isaac led him to this place. Isaac went there and and God said, stay here. I will be with you. And Isaac obeyed. A mature faith in God fosters trust and obedience. A mature faith in God, a biblical faith in God, recognition of who God is, an awareness of who He is, fosters trust and obedience to Him. Trust in God and obedience to His Word, just as Isaac displayed here, for Isaac is described here as a recipient of blessings on behalf of his father who obeyed the commands of the Lord. And now Isaac is described as one who is also obeying the commands and the voice of the Lord. And God blesses the obedience of his people. God blesses the obedience of his people. God told Isaac, stay here. Isaac stayed and We read in the rest of the chapter that Isaac experienced great blessing, tremendous blessing for his faithfulness to God. Now, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the passage of Scripture where Rebecca conceives Jacob and Esau, these two twin boys. And Rebecca receives this oracle from God that describes the electing or choosing from God that Jacob will be greater than Esau. And here's the other side of coin because God calls and we are responsible to obey. We are responsible to obey the voice of the Lord. God blesses the obedience of His people and God's blessing should encourage further obedience 
from His people. And God blesses. It ought to motivate us. It ought to compel us. It ought to stir us to further faithfulness to Him. That makes sense, doesn't it? When God protects, when He provides, when He shows mercy to us, we want to honor Him. We want to obey Him. Not so that we can get more for ourselves, but out of thankful love and adoration and obedience to Him for providing for us. God can always be trusted to go with and provide for His his people. Yet, right here, Isaac and the verses that follow failed to exercise full trust and obedience to God. He failed to fully trust in the God who had called him. And though he mirrored his father Abraham's faith and obedience, also at times he mirrored his father's disobedience. And here is one of those examples, like father, like son, because you'll remember that Abraham twice, two different occasions, found himself in a foreign place and lied about the identity of his wife, Sarah, in an effort to protect his own life. And here Isaac does the same thing in the land of the Philistines, saying that Rebekah is his sister because he feared for his own life. Yeah, the king in that land, King Abimelech, notices. He knows that something's not right when he witnesses Isaac and Rebekah acting as only a married couple would act. And he calls him out on it. And in that moment, this foreign king, King Abimelech, this pagan king, exercises, displays more faith in the one true God, in fearing God and the repercussions of, of his actions than, than Isaac does. And this story is a reminder that we as people of faith, as recipients of the promises of God, are called upon not Not to operate by fear, but to operate and to act and to live and to walk by faith in God. We're called to act in faith, not fear. We're called to act in faith in God rather than fear of of others. This is one of those warnings in God's Word in which we're we're not to emulate, we're not to... We're not to do what we read about here. We're not to make a mockery of God's presence and His protection and His provision and His program by failing to trust in Him. For when we fail to trust in the One who is trustworthy, the One who is always faithful, we are insulting God. Called to act in faith, not in in fear. It's as if Isaac has totally forgotten what God has done for him. It's as if Isaac has forgotten that God had blessed his father Abraham with numerous flocks and herds and cattle and servants, taking care of him. It's as if he had forgotten that even his very existence was the result of the direct provision of God. For remember that Sarah was far beyond childbearing age when she conceived Isaac. It's as if Isaac has forgotten about the ram that God provided, caught in the thicket at just the right time as Isaac lay on the altar about to be offered as a sacrifice to God. And it's as if Isaac forgot that his wife, Rebekah, was an answer to a direct prayer on behalf of Abraham's servant as he sought out a wife for Isaac. And it's as if Isaac forgot about the twin boys, Jacob and Esau, that God provided after 20 years of barrenness in their marriage. If God could do all of those things, you would think God could protect His life here and preserve His marriage here. 
And Isaac was not acting as a good steward of what had been entrusted to him. He'd been entrusted with this marriage. He'd been entrusted with this family. He'd been entrusted with promises that he was to abide by faith in God and operate by faith in God. And as a result, God would bless him and his descendants. So what has God entrusted to you? Church, what has God entrusted to you and to me? We as people of faith are called to steward well what God has entrusted to us. Steward well what God has entrusted to you. All that we have, everything that we have been given, ultimately comes from the Lord. And when we fail to recognize that we are dependent on Him and that apart from Him we have nothing, sometimes God reminds us, perhaps through great loss, or perhaps through His Word, maybe even the voice of someone else, that all that we have is ultimately from Him. Him. And we have been blessed with much by the Lord. The greatest blessing that we have received from God is, is the direct fulfillment of Genesis chapter 26, verse 4. When God had told Abraham and now told Isaac, through you all nations on earth will be blessed because we who uh, are followers of Jesus gathered together today in Birmingham, Alabama in the 21st century constitute a small part of the nations of the earth who have been blessed through the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Ultimately, the Son of God and Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. If God has entrusted you with a message, a message of the gospel, we're called in Scripture as ambassadors of the gospel, then we must make sure that we are good stewards of the message that has been entrusted to us, that we are doing all that we can ultimately to glorify God through that message. If God has entrusted you with a family, then teach the scriptures in the home. If God has entrusted you with relationships with lost people, with unbelievers, then utilize those relationships as opportunities to engage in conversation about the gospel of Jesus Christ. If God has entrusted you with an income, then give generously to the local church as part of God's design ultimately to carry the gospel to the ends of, of the earth. Whatever God has entrusted us with, we need to be faithful in it. And as a church, we ought to be, not only as individuals, but as a church, we ought to be continually evaluating how we are using what God has entrusted to us. To be evaluating our programs and expenditures so that you know that as you give to the local church, as God expects all of us to do, that that you and I are giving to gospel-centered ministry and missions ultimately for the glory of our great God. Folks, God can always be trusted to go with and to provide for His people. And as He does, as He does, the world envies those who experience the blessing of God. As God provides for His people, the world begins to envy those who experience the blessing of of God. Look back at Genesis chapter 26, and this is evident in verses 12 and following. But verse 12, Isaac planted crops in that land. In the very same year, he reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Man became rich. Verse 13 is fascinating, really. It says, the man became rich, and he became more rich. His riches grew until he became very rich. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the 
Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, he said, move away from us. You've become too powerful for us. You have too much. Leave us. The passage goes on, as we read earlier, and Isaac and his servants began to dig for water. Clean, pure water, certainly necessary for life. And certainly necessary in an arid environment as they were in with wandering herdsmen caring for many flocks and herds. And time after time, it's evident in this chapter that as they struck water, it was the Lord who provided for them. That God was blessing Isaac time and time again. And as we seek to understand this truth from God's Word and apply it to our own lives, we need to be careful because this passage of Scripture is not saying that we as believers today will become rich in this life. Not saying that we will be physically wealthy. Perhaps we will be, but that's no guarantee from, from God's Word. But we do have a guarantee from God's Word, from the lips of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, that He will provide for us. As we seek Him first and His kingdom, all these things will be given unto us as well. That He will take care of us. And as people of faith, we can expect provision from the Lord. We can expect provision from the Lord. We can expect the Lord to care for us and to provide for us as the one who goes with us and provides for us time after time after time. Once again, this is not prosperity gospel. That's not what's being conveyed in Scripture here. But God does bless us in great ways by caring and providing for us and even greater than the material things that He provides for us. God blesses us with abundant spiritual blessings. By knowing Christ, by knowing the Son of God and Savior of the world and walking with Him, receiving forgiveness of sins, He blesses us with things like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. God blesses us with spiritual things ultimately that we might be a light to the world. But as the world notices that there is something different in us, that we possess something different because of our walk with Christ, because of our relationship with Christ, then, then they will envy us. Perhaps they will accuse us. We will experience opposition from the world, expect provision from the Lord, but also we can expect opposition from the world. Expect provision from the Lord, but also expect opposition from the world. And as the world notices Something different about us, perhaps materially, but far more often spiritually. And what an opportunity to witness by sharing and pointing to the truth of the God who loves us and who provides for us and who desires to save each and every one of us. The world envies those who experience the blessing of God. But thanks be to God, the presence and provision of God triumphs over worldly opposition. The presence and the provision of God triumphs over worldly opposition. No matter what we face in life, God is with us. No matter how much we hurt, God can comfort us. No matter how sick we are, God can heal us. No matter how broken a relationship, God can restore it. Just as He did here in verse 28 between Isaac and King Abimelech and his people. God is with us. Desires us to 
know and to be aware of his presence. Look back at Genesis 26, verse 24. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I am with you. You know, there are some places in life that most of us just won't go. Perhaps with a friend or a family member, we will do many things, go many places, but usually there's a limit to where we will go. And I was reminded at the conclusion of the first service by an individual who I shared some time in Belize with on a mission trip that as we visited Lamini, which is a place of Mayan ruins and these fascinating uh, archaeological sites with these huge temple structures, and one of those is known as the High Temple. And I was reminded that I would not go to the top. And that person was correct. I would not go to the top as I began to climb that structure and realize this is a bit steeper than I am comfortable with. And there is no rail. There is simply a rope for me to hang on to. And that is a thunderstorm cloud coming. I'll go many places, but I am not going to the top of that place in this moment. And for many of us, there are places that we just will not go. But thankfully, we serve a God who goes with us everywhere. He is always with us. He can always be trusted to go with us and to provide for us. And He has provided for us. He has blessed us in great ways. And as we consider how God has blessed us as His people this morning, let's acknowledge the abundant physical blessings of God in our own lives. Let's acknowledge the abundant physical blessings of God. And for some reason, and perhaps we really don't know why, God has blessed most of us in great ways, materially, physically, as as we are right here in the richest county in Alabama. God has blessed us, and as recipients of His blessing, we ought to steward well what He has entrusted to us. Let's acknowledge that it is from Him, and let's give sacrificially and generously for the sake of His great name. Acknowledge the abundant physical blessings of God, and also we are called to acknowledge the lavish spiritual blessings of God. Acknowledge the lavish spiritual blessings of, of God. And the New Testament letter written to the Ephesians, written by the Apostle Paul, he reminded us of these blessings when he said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. He's blessed us with... Every spiritual blessing. He goes on in verse 7. He says, In Christ we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. The riches of God's grace have been applied to us as His children, as His people. We ought to acknowledge the lavish spiritual blessings of God. Can we say, like the servants of Isaac in Genesis chapter 26, verse 32, that we have found Water. We have found water. Remember the story of John chapter 4 when Jesus is talking with the Samaritan woman at the well and they're talking about the water. He's asking, Can you give me a drink? And they get in this dialogue, and Jesus answered her in John chapter 4, verse 13. He said, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never 
thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. A spring of water inside all of those who who drink the water that Jesus offers. He is the living water that satisfies our spiritual longing to know God as He extends salvation to us by His blood shed on the cross. Church, have you you had a drink of that water? Do you know the One who is the living water? Have you repented of sin and trusted in Jesus for salvation? And can you declare with the rest, we've found water, we've tasted, and it is good. We have satisfaction in and through Jesus Christ. If not, then do so today. For church, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. None of us are guaranteed another day. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. But every single one of us is guaranteed an eternity either in the presence of the Almighty God, the one who loves us and cares for us and provides for us, the one who satisfies us, or we're guaranteed an eternity enduring the wrath and judgment of that very same Almighty God. Enter into a covenant relationship with the God who can always be trusted to go with and to provide for His people. And then after you have entered into that relationship with Him, join together with His people in worshiping Him for all of eternity. Let's worship the God who protects and who provides. Worship the God, the one and only God, the God of Scripture who protects and provides for His people. As we conclude, look back at Genesis chapter 26, verse, verse 25. God has appeared to Isaac and said, I am with you. Don't be afraid. I am with you. I will bless you. And verse 25, what is Isaac's response? Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. He settled down there. Servants dug a well. He worshiped God. God made himself known to Isaac. He blessed Isaac. And the response of Isaac is a response that we ought to imitate as we worship God. For God is with us and he has provided for us in abundant ways. So let's join together now as a church this morning and worshiping the guest whose honor it is that we, in whose honor it is that we have gathered together this morning and the one whose presence the people of God will enjoy for all of eternity. Father, we thank you that you love us and we thank you so much, Lord, that you are with us. Lord, that you create us and you call us to be your people. You invite us to walk with you and to live for you and to know you, to be reconciled to you. And and then you remain with us for all of eternity. Lord, that you take up residence in us. Lord, and you join with us week after week as we gather as your people to worship you and to hear from you. Father, we thank you that you are a God whose presence is a comfort to your people. So, Father, in response to your presence among us this morning and in response to your word, may we praise you in a way that is worthy of you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.